Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. My name is Jay Rodenbush. I'm the Director of Alumni Engagement with Recovery Centers of America. And today I am at our Capital Region location, located in Waldorf, Maryland, sitting down with one of our alums, Jeremy Jamison from Maryland. Um, He has a passion for service and recovery, and we just wanted to talk about that today and talk about his story and just let you hear his passion for recovery. So thanks for being with us today, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So tell us, how did addiction begin for you? Um, Addiction started at an early age for me. Um, My parents were addicts. so I didn't necessarily see them using at that age, um, but there was always alcohol, marijuana, other things that I didn't know what it was at the time, um, and I started drinking alcohol, I think, around the age of nine, um, because it was always in the house, um, family functions, you know, it was just a normal thing to be around. It wasn't that I was allowed to drink, but it was around so often and they weren't paying attention, um, you know, if we were at family functions or whatever it was, so I would sneak it here and there. Um, And I believe that's where it started. Um, You know, when I was 13, my parents were came to me and told me that they were losing their home our home um i didn't um i didn't know that it was that severe or that was happening until they actually told me um around that time i was going to stay with uh, a cousin of mine um, in Annapolis, Maryland. And I had been going there on the weekends and, um, I was, it was like a normal, you know, party weekend. I would go there, I would drink, I'd smoke pot. Um, you know, it was just a normal thing. And I had, you know, I was 13. I was having a blast. I thought it was fun. It was normal. So, um, when this happened, um, we were losing our home. They didn't really know where they were going. So, I begged and pleaded to go stay in Annapolis with my cousin, and they they allowed it. Um, So there was 10 people that lived in my house. Eight were using something, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, heroin. Um, There was one person for every drug in that house. Um, I was using LSD at the age of 13. I was snorting cocaine at the age of 13. By the time I was 17, I was doing heroin. Um, And it just continued for many, many years. Um, Eventually, uh, I dropped out of high school. You know, that was the rule in our house that you could party and do whatever you wanted, but you had to go to school and get good grades. And that didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up in 1997, I think. Well, fast forward. Um, I ended up getting my first um, conviction, 
I was 17. Um, I it was a felony. They charged me as an adult for possessing with intent to distribute marijuana, and I got three years. And every year from then on, um, I was either charged, arrested, or doing time up until the time I was 41 years old. A, from a direct result of active addiction. Nothing that I've ever been charged with was not because of active addiction. So I ended up doing a total of 12 years total in and out of the county jail, five years in prison, um, continuing to do the same thing over and over and over. I would go to jail, I'd come out, I'd start drinking, thinking that I was okay, and then it would lead to back to the opiates. Opiates was the main thing for me um, that I was addicted to. It was heroin, then it was pain pills, then I could get it legally through pain management, and um, I was getting oxycodone 30 milligrams, and I started to melt them down and inject them um, and that's basically what took me over the edge um, I overdosed I bought prescription pills from someone on the streets and I overdosed in the parking lot of CVS and I was with my girlfriend at the time she called the ambulance and they gave me Narcan mm -hmm. and I was revived obviously but um, it didn't stop me it didn't stop me it wasn't enough um, so this last go around with the law I had a I think I did detox for seven days at Recovery Centers of America. I took nothing home with me that I, you know, none of the materials, none of the suggestions, nothing. I tried to do it on my own. How'd that work out? It didn't. It lasted for about 30 days. And I decided to stop and get a drink. That drink led to a pill. That pill ended up in my arm. I ended up assaulting my fiance. She called the police. The police came. I pulled two butcher knives out on the police. And I ended up in jail that night for assault on law enforcement. And domestic. Wow. And you're sitting here today. We just came out of an awesome meeting mm -hmm. um, in the other room with some of our alums. You've got a recovery t-shirt on. <laughs> They said every week you wear a different t-shirt. Tell, tell the listeners what your t-shirt says today. Uh, this one says, recovery didn't open up the gates of heaven and let me in. Recovery opened up the gates of hell and let me out. How did this happen? Uh, well, I sat in jail in the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, um, which I had never done before. I've always been in the Maryland system, um, so it was something out of my element. Um, 
it was probably the worst experience of my life when it comes to being incarcerated. Um, I sat there for a total of a hundred days. I was on, I had a no bond. Um, my lawyer kept saying the only way that I would be able to get a bond is if I were to accept the treatment facility and I didn't want it. I had no intentions on going to a long-term treatment center at all. But after sitting there for a hundred days, I asked him, you think we could get that recovery center still? <laughs> so, um, it, we went to court. I got an acceptance letter from a place in Richmond. I went to this place. They, they, they allowed it. I went there and I surrendered. I did exactly what they suggested in that program. They said, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. They said, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor. They said, get numbers, get a support network, uh, communicate with people outside of the meetings. When the meetings are over, don't just go to your car, you know, get phone numbers, get connected with people in recovery. And I did it. And, um, I got honest. I got honest with myself. I didn't get honest for anyone else. I did it for me. Um, Talk to me a little bit about honesty. I know it's a program of honesty. Yes. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. With these three things, you'll be well on your way. <laughs> um, Easier said than done, right? Oh, yeah. So, uh, my first thing that happened to me um, with honesty um, was, it, and it might sound very simple, but it was a huge deal for me. So at the recovery center, we went, we had to go in pairs everywhere if we were under 30 days. So they wanted, asked me if I would go get some food with one of the other um, patients. And I said, sure. And it was for staff and they bought me food as well. And they said, we didn't pay for drinks. Here's 20 bucks get five drinks. So I, I went up there and I said, Hey, we had five drinks. I mean, we need five drinks. We didn't ask for drinks when we ordered food. And she said, Oh, no problem here. Gave it to me. So I had this lady's 20 bucks. I'm fresh out of jail. You know, first thing in my mind was, Oh, I got 20 bucks. And I, it ate me up. It ate me up. Ate me up. I was like, this isn't my money. This woman works hard. Um, you know, they say honesty. You know, once you get honest, it... That was a pivotal moment. It really was. It, it, it sounds small, but it... It was so small because and I could walk into a store with $1,000 in my pocket and put a pack of gum in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I was a thief. I was a narcissist. I was all these things that I'm not today. Um, so it ate me up and I went back and I said, here, here's 20 bucks. They said not to, she said, Oh, cool. Thanks. And put it in her pocket. And it literally was the best feeling in the world to do the right thing. Wow. It was such a small thing, but it was huge for me. And that's really what started me being honest about everything. You have to completely be honest with yourself because if you're not honest with yourself, you're not gonna be honest with anyone else.
If you're lying to yourself, what's the point? You know, that's what the program taught me. And it definitely was a growing um, process for me. You said you have to be honest with yourself and that you indicate that you were lying to yourself all those years. Absolutely. What were some of the big lies you told yourself during your active addiction? I could drink. I can have... I can just drink. It's fine. I have, I haven't done as, drugs. So as long as you're not doing opiates, it's fine to drink. Yeah. Um, I can still go to pain management and get my pills, but I just won't use them. I'll sell them. Mm. Those were two major things for me, and it never lasted. Once I finally came to the conclusion that I could never have a drink of alcohol again. Everything just started getting easier. Everything. Because um, in Narcotics Anonymous, alcohol is a drug. Period. And it is for me. Like, I was an alcoholic. And I didn't realize how much of alcohol it was until I actually really started taking suggestions. Um, and I and I wasn't just NA. I went to therapy. I went to drug count. Um, addictions counseling I went to therapy to talk about my childhood I went to you know my meetings I went to uh I mean I did everything times three that that was suggested to me because I was just at my my end like I just was tired of repeating the same thing over and over again um you know I never knew what insanity meant until I started working a program, mm -hmm. I know, um, repeating the same behaviors over, expecting different results, knowing what the result is actually going to be, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I did for years. I was, in, I was insane. <laughs> now, it looks like today, like, we're just sitting here, I mean, it, it looks like a miracle, but I know it didn't happen overnight. I know it, it's the result of a lot of little things and a lot of little steps that you took. So what was the first time where you go, mm, this is the right path. This is the right step. This is the first miracle. Hmm. The first real miracle for me, I believe, other than, you know, the response I've gotten from my family, from other addicts in recovery um i had back to that court thing with the officer i still had to go to court for that you know assault on law enforcement in this commonwealth of virginia is not a it's not uh, a picnic no <laughs> and they were looking to give me some time um and you know through sponsorship and through networking and um you know really doing exactly what the program asked me the program of Narcotics Anonymous promises freedom. And not only am I spiritually free today, but it freed me from going to jail for that charge. Mm -hmm. I went to court with so much information that I had done in a, within a year's time that they were completely amazed. The witness, witness protection... Uh, I don't really know her title. 
she is the person that works for the Commonwealth, and she is the person that is basically against me, like, yeah. for the for the, the witness or for the um, person that was she's, assaulted. She's part of the prosecution. Yes. This woman came up to me at court crying and shook my hand. She said, I am so proud of you. I've never seen an outcome like this. I am so proud of you. And was tears were coming down her eyes. The officer, I called the officer and, you know, told him that I'm sorry for doing what I did. That I knew that he could have shot me in my house that day mm -hmm. for having two butcher knives out. He could have shot me. And I wouldn't be here. And I told him, I know that him shooting me would affect him just as bad as it would affect my family. He doesn't go to work every day because he has a weapon and plans on shooting somebody. You know, he's there to protect and serve the community, which he was doing. And I just thanked him for sparing my life that day. And he called the Commonwealth and told the attorneys that I called. The first thing they said was, who put him up to it? He said, absolutely nobody. He was very genuine. And he told me, he said he was very happy that I called. And he really did appreciate me calling him. And uh, good luck on my second chance at life. And they reduced the felony to a misdemeanor and I didn't have to go back to jail. I got a year probation. Unbelievable. If that's not a miracle. And so... You're here now. How do you, and, and you're passionate about service. Talk to us about how you went from the receiving those miracles and then putting it back into practice. So, you know, reading the literature and working some steps and going to meetings, you know, in the beginning, it was always said that you can only keep what you had by giving it away. So... You know, when I started speaking out and talking about recovery and really showing my passion for it, someone reached out to me and said, would you mind telling your story? And I did. And what I got from that was instant growth in my recovery. Um, it opened me up. Newcomers came up to me and thanked me. Um, told me how much it really helped them, how much my story really gave them incentive to really do the right thing, that they loved my passion, they could tell that I was sincere. And having another addict come up to me, someone that's new in the rooms, and come to me and tell me that I helped them was the best high I've ever had in my life. That was amazing. For someone to look at me, of all people, and say, you helped me today. And that that's a big reason why I walk around with these shirts. Um, because I'm not ashamed of who I was. I am very blessed to who I've become. And if someone is watching me and sees me walk in the room or... 
you know, I, I'm a big guy. I go to the gym. I work out. And somebody, I, people notice me when I walk in the room, <laughs> you know. And if I got this shirt that says, we do recovery on the back and a saying on the front, you never know who's going to see me. Yeah. And they might feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, I need some help. Mm-hmm. And that's what keeps me going. So if there's someone new, new to recovery, they're just, maybe they're just getting out of treatment and they've been told they need to go to meetings, they need to get in service, but they have no clue what that means. How would, how, what would you say? What, where uh, do you tell them to start? Uh, get a home group, get a sponsor for one, get a sponsor. And it's, they say get a sponsor, get a home group. Those are the first main things to try to network. And it's hard because, you know, you're new to this process. When I first started going, I was so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. Um, uncomfortable how? You're a big guy. You can walk in any room. Being around people that wanted to, like, hug me and want to talk to me um people that cared you know i wasn't used to that vulnerability uh, yes 100 percent. and that you know i they say keep coming back until you find something that works for you so i kept coming back and it got easier and easier and easier and easier like i would call i would get these people's numbers I might not call them right away or I might call them once, but I got multiple people until I found comfort with people in recovery that have experience in it that I could talk to and I could feel comfortable with. That's why you keep coming back. So you, I keep seeing you, I'm talking about myself. Um, I was told that if you keep coming, it will get easier. So when I, when I, when I kept coming, it became natural. Like you're not, I'm not used to doing living like that, like being honest and opening up to people and talking about me. Um, letting people care about you, letting people care about me. Um, you know, I had this wall up, like the first time I spoke at a meeting, I said, I don't know y'all. I don't trust none of Mm y'all. I said that. And a guy came up to me and said, hey, man, here's my number. You know, I, I've been exactly where you've been. I, I didn't trust nobody in here when I first came here. And that's what I, you know, somebody did that for me. So if I can do that for someone else, that's how the program works, you know. Um, I know I can't do this alone. I used to think, oh, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need to hear, I don't need to call this person or. I don't need to stay connected or, you know, I don't need no home group. I don't need these meetings. I absolutely need everything that they suggested. What if somebody says, you know, service is telling your story. I can't get up in front of people. I can't tell my story. What other types of service are out there for people? Oh, uh, I mean, you when you get a home group, you, you ask to get a service position and that could be, you know, making coffee, that could be setting the chairs up, that could be cleaning up. Um, you know, and some people, you know, will take it as like a disrespectful thing, thinking that, oh, I'm not, 
making your coffee or cleaning up after you, you know, that's how I felt in the beginning because I'm, you know, I've been in and out of jail my whole life. Like, what are you trying to like, um, belittle me or something, but it's really not. It's just trying to get you involved with people that you're not used to being involved with that are in recovery so they can learn who you are. And if you're there and you show up and it gives you like, okay, you have to make coffee. So that gives you a responsibility. You got to show up. People are counting on you. And if people are counting on you, you have less of um, a chance to go and use that day. Oh, I got to go to this meeting and set this coffee up. Because people are depending on you. The ability to keep a commitment. Yep. And when I say you're passionate about service, mm -hmm. tell us the story. You told it tonight. It was hilarious. <laughs> so you pulled over a cop. Okay, so uh, just recently, <laughs> um, I had been talking about getting in service because I came from, you know, my recovery, the nine months that I did in the inpatient recovery center was in Richmond, Virginia, and I moved back here. So I want to get involved. I came here and asked L'Oreal... Um, the alumni coordinator at RCA, uh, how can I be of service? What do I do? Where do you need me? Um, because I needed to get involved around here mm -hmm. because I was used to the atmosphere up there. I had to come back. So um, I had recently just got with someone to get with H&I um, to go into the facilities around here, um, you know, other treatment facilities to share my story, my strength and hope, um, my experience, strength and hope. And, um, I seen this dare car the other day <laughs> and I a pulled police up, officer. He's, he's a police officer and he's they got the dare, dare symbol, symbol on it, on, on the car. car. So he, that's what he does. So I was like, man, I remember that dare. It's been so long since I've been in school. I know it's got something to do with school and I know it's got something to do with drugs. I'm going to follow this cop. So you start following the cop. I followed the cop for about five miles, and he pulled into a Chick-fil-A. And I pulled up next to him, and I said, um, you know, what do you do? And I know you're a police officer, but what is it that you actually do? And he said, I said, I'm only asking because I'm in recovery, and I have my key tags, you know, my clean time key tags hanging from my mirror. And he said, I know you. And I I recognized who he was, and I said, Tractor Supply. He said, yep, 2019. He remembered the year and everything. Um, there was an incident that I had hit a car or something, and it was just a big mess. But it just so happened that it was someone that I knew, someone that knew I was in active addiction, and I pull up on him and ask him if I could be of service to come speak to the kids in school to prevent what I've gone through. You know, maybe it could help. And he invites you to... He said that they have um, some kind of camp. I think it might be during the summer. And he said that that would be great. You know, I would be perfect for that. And um, he told me that he was very proud of me for doing what I'm doing, um, knowing where I come from. And uh, I gave him my information and wrote it down for him. Awesome. Yeah. And the last time you saw him? It's 2019. Unless, yeah, that's the last time I seen him. Last time I seen him, he had his hands around my neck. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was, 
you know, that's how God works for me today. Like, to see someone like that, um, that I had an incident with, you know, as a police officer, mm-hmm. and to see me, and I just see, I didn't know who he was, and I just pull up, and I'm in recovery, and I want to be of service any way, shape, or form I can, and even with, with children, because that's where it starts. And uh, it just so happened to be someone that I knew, and he knew that I was in active addiction. And, uh, you know, him saying that he's proud of me. You know, somebody of the community like that to tell me uh, that they're proud, that, and especially knowing where I come from, it's just a great feeling. Uh, it's awesome. I like that you said do something to help the kids because that's where it starts. Um we know we have an opioid epidemic. We know this is happening at younger and younger ages. Um, what's the message for you? For the kids? You, you've been there. You've been through it. Um, you know, of course, I would share my experience and why um, I used at a young age. Um, you know, I always wanted to fit in. You know, I just... I didn't feel like I fit in unless I did this or that. And I would just want to tell them that you don't have to. And I would explain to them what my life has been like for the last 25 years because I wanted to fit in. And um, I would be completely honest with them. I would tell them the war stories. I would tell them the prison, the stabbings, the using needles um you know they need to hear that especially high school kids like they they see it on the social media these days they see it on the news they you know why not hear it from somebody that's trying to send a message to them that somebody that's been through it and can prevent it even if it's one person that picks up on it and remembers my story i'm helping somebody Mm -hmm. because you're not going to save or help everyone it's just it's just reality of it, but if there's 10 out of 100, that's 10 out of 100 people that heard my story and it helped them. So that's what I'm passionate about. So what's life like today? When when they say Narcotics Anonymous promises freedom, um... It's, it's, it's so, un, it, it just doesn't feel real that everything is so good in my life today. You know, I might not have the big old house and the brand new cars and the materialistic stuff. That means absolutely nothing to me. Um, the relationships I have with my family, my children, my employment, um, people in my community. I'm a volunteer firefighter. <laughs> like, what addict do you know is accepted and allowed to get on an apparatus and go help save a life? That is the most rewarding thing. A it's grateful, recovering one. Grateful, recovering. It's so, um, it's so real, man. It's, uh, I've never been so happy in my life. All because I finally got honest and I got had an open mind and was willing to do a little bit of work on myself. Um, life is good today. I'm free.
I love it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Jeremy, thanks for sharing your story. I, I end every podcast, and, and especially with you because you wear them on your shirt. <laughs> but do you have a favorite recovery quote? I do. My favorite one is my addiction. Hold on, let me think. My addiction affected everyone around me. I'm going to make sure that my recovery does the same. Oh, I love that. And it's the truth because everybody's affected with my recovery today. Everyone. Everyone I come in contact with. It's, uh, for some reason, recovery comes out because that's what I live by today. Like, that is my life, and I'm not afraid to share it because I want to help someone. If they're in the dark with it and they don't feel comfortable, I want to help whoever is in need that I can help. Well, thank you for affecting us for the better today. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today for the Strength and Recovery Podcast. Real people, real experiences, real hope. This podcast is presented by the Alumni Association of Recovery Centers of America. If you're interested in learning more, visit rcaalumni.com. Here, you can fill out our web form to make sure you're receiving our daily recovery emails and are notified of special events. The Alumni Association of RCA exists to connect individuals to an active recovery community. It is our goal to work with alumni to help them succeed, belong, and ultimately serve others. We help our alumni succeed by hosting more than 120 recovery support meetings per month with both virtual and in-person offerings of big book studies, speaker meetings, beginners meetings, Monday through Friday daily inspiration meetings, meetings for men and women, and faith-based meetings. Second, we create a welcoming community that provides a sense of belonging with a full calendar of events each month. Speaker series, barbecues, holiday celebrations, bowling, sporting events, theater shows, and much more. Thirdly, we provide an opportunity for our alumni to serve both the recovery community and in our local neighborhoods. We offer speaker commitments, chair commitments, mentoring opportunities in our facilities, volunteering at food banks, recovery, and overdose awareness events. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Recovery Centers of America provides inpatient and outpatient treatment and has locations in Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois. Recovery Centers of America, or RCA, was founded to break down barriers to expert treatment. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, are in network with major insurance providers, and provide evidence-based treatment in our world-class facilities. If you, or someone you know needs help, call 1-800-RECOVERY and know we are here for you.